How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChawFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChawFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your chocolate order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today, we are welcoming the wonderful Ken Kurzinger. Ken is an acclaimed uh, stuntman. He's also an actor that has portrayed some of my favorite characters from Jason Voorhees and Freddy vs. Jason, Rusty Dale and Joyride 3, and Pa and Wrong Turn 2. Uh, as you can see, he's well versed in horror. Uh, I consider him a horror icon. He's played some incredible franchises, uh, but he's also done some amazing work on television and other movies as well through his stunt work. And uh, Ken, it's great to have you on here. Nice to be here, John. Thanks for giving me a call. No, no problem. It's uh, it's one of those things. I know we were just kind of talking before we hit record here about uh, the conventions and stuff. I know you're a big part of that for obvious reasons, but in the last year or so obviously that wasn't happening and stuff. Were you able still to kind of keep a relationship going with your fans, whether through social media or stuff, or, cause I know fans uh, for nine times out of 10 resonate with your character you play because whatever emotions are feeling and you, you, you get, you feed off their energy as well. So without the conventions, how do you kind of help fans and stuff that might reach out to you in terms of, Hey, man, I wish I could give you a hug or that type of stuff. Well, you know what? Um, I have never been on any social media. Um, it's not that I have anything against it or I'm worried about it. It's just not anything that I got into. Um, so really, um, there's very few fans that I contact uh, outside, you know, seeing them at conventions and stuff like that. And, and that makes it even that more special for me. Uh, I have one or two that uh, that that are really special. And uh, actually, I'd like to throw a shout out to uh, Shana Keebler. I'm going to put her onto this and, and uh, so she can say that I or see that I said hi to her. She just finished uh, writing a book and, and uh, she's a terrific girl and uh, just wanted to encourage her, her writing. Uh, I'm sort of big into writing myself, um, scripts, short stories. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not that in touch with, uh, I don't have books and bobbleheads and all that kind of stuff. So um, it, it's really great to see them at the conventions. It kind of adds to your lore, too, because you're not sure where you are at, where you're going to be. Uh, in terms of the actual getting back to work, stunt work, acting, and stuff like that, how has that been for you in terms of the last year and a half now jumping into when you're allowed to do it safely and stuff like that? Um, you know, I, I, I sort of retired a while ago, and uh, when the whole COVID thing hit, uh, my wife still works in the film business, and uh, so I was kind of the support system for her. Uh, you know, I still auditioned for some stuff here and there, and and uh, I kind of retired from stunt work. And and because uh, you got to realize, I put over thirty years into, into right. the business, and thirty years of filmmaking is like sixty years because of all the hours you put in. And uh, so I work hard, and and uh, now I'm kind of just enjoying uh, enjoying this time and finding new interests and, and writing is a big one. Um, you know, I'd love to break into uh, writing scripts uh, professionally and, and uh, writing stories. And, and uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, the last year and a half, I haven't done a convention in oh, over a year uh, at least. Right. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, I'm just uh, enjoying what I did do. Now, in those 30 years, that's a lot of years spent doing a lot of stunt work as well. That must be good for your body, too, in terms of the wear and tear, and you can actually live a f somewhat full and healthy life as opposed to some of these men and women that love what they do, but as they get older, you can kind of see them losing their kind of uh, balance between the stunt work and their actual real life. So that's kind of cool that you can kind of still be involved with writing, but yeah. you can also not have to worry about lighting yourself on fire, or submerging yourself in an ice tank. Uh, I think if somebody actually called me to light myself on fire, I would do that because that's one of the easiest ones where you don't really get hurt unless they're going to hit you with a car or something like that. Um, but yeah, the tool, you know, I played college basketball and football. I had my injuries doing that and then got in, and then got into stunt work. And um, 
yeah, it, the injury rate in foot in uh, stunt work, uh, just like it is in most professional sports, it's 100%. You're, you're going to get injured. And uh, that was one of the reasons I, I uh, retired was because, uh, you know, the doctors were saying, you know, you got to, uh, you know, stop doing, you know, the hard ground pounder stuff. And, and uh, I just thought, you know, stunt coordinating is, is interesting, um, but it's, it's not what I got in the business for. I love doing stunts. It was just so much fun. And I just, uh, you know, I realized the other day I was watching Hooper. Yep. You know, about two weeks ago, hadn't seen it in a bunch of years and, you know, I was bored and, and put Hooper on. I realized that pretty much every stuntman of my generation that I knew wanted to be Hooper. And yep. uh, I, I started remembering all these situations where various stunt people enacted scenes from that movie, uh, whether it's, you know, partying all night and then going and watching, you know, the stunt reel at the end of the night with a bunch of friends and stuff and having a few drinks and, and doing that or, or, you know, some of the other not quite legal things were in the movie. Um, but, but everybody wanted to be Hooper. And, uh, it, you know, I got into it because it was a fun, fun business. And, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine doing anything else. Now, you kind of told me, we were talk, reaching out, talking to each other about you coming on the show, and you kind of told me about your brief, but it seemed very interesting background in security, bouncing, club security, backstage, and different concerts as you're a young kid. So could you kind of touch upon, did that action backstage, dealing with the hustle bustle Hollywood music, did that kind of get your interest going to maybe one day become an actor or get involved in the Hollywood lifestyle? Um I read an article about a stuntman when I was like 12 years old, uh, Hal Needham. And uh, I plugged that into my head. I always loved watching movies and stuff like that. And I thought, you know, I, I'd like to be a stuntman one day. And as time went on, uh, I was in college and I blew my knee out playing football. And my sister was living in Los Angeles and, and I ended up going down to visit her. That's how I got into stunt work. The, the working backstage stuff, though, gave you a taste of real celebrity what what uh what they go through and uh you know how protected they have to be and uh the price of real fame and uh so it was interesting from that perspective and sort of taught me when i got on sets uh you know how to better behave around you know celebrities and and people who are inundated with with fans and stuff like that all the time so <clears throat> it was a you know educational from that point growing up i always my grandparents and my parents obviously they'd always hey just when i started young age start watching evil could evil and all these these daredevil type people the the pen dragons and all this crazy stuff and it wasn't until i was older that i really appreciate what this guy did evil in terms of the putting himself out there for maybe there's selfish reasons a little bit of it maybe some ego on his part but to put himself out there to be that type of person I don't, if I really love stunt work and I would see that, I, I would not stop until I became a stuntman. And I, I think, is that something too, where you watch people like that or Hooper or stuff where it's like, man, these, you see how people, every language, doesn't matter what background, you see this guy jump over, think of buses or flaming tire, whatever it is, and you're in awe of the spectacle of it. I think there's something really to that. You know, it's the same, I think, with anything you want to do is passion. If you have a passion for it, and, and, you know, you have to have the ability to, but I think the passion will create the ability. You might not be the best at it to start, but if you work hard enough, you know, you, you can get there. And so if you have enough passion for something, it makes all the difference in the world. If you're doing it just for the money, uh, you know, it's hard to get up in the morning. But uh, I remember driving to work, top down, my big stunt bag beside me and being the happiest man in the world. You know, the sun was up and I was going to wreck a car or, get set on fire or whatever I was doing that day. And, and, uh, you know, I had that passion and I think, you know, I think you probably had a passion for your security work, yeah. you know, you've, and you do that and then you develop a, you might develop a passion for another thing, which is what you're doing now, which, which is fantastic. And I, I really encourage that in people to find what their passion is, you know, and don't make it about the money. The money will come. No, and I love that. Uh, it's, for me, like obviously with the pandemic, I start this podcast and I'm still obviously still doing security with bands and all that stuff. But the, for me, 
to wake up every morning, I do need to find that passion every day, whether that's uh, do get the workout that I need or reading a book or whatever it is, the passion, the, the people I see, they're very unsuccessful in security business. And obviously you can attest to in stunt work or acting, they lose that, that fire in their eye. And it's, it's the saddest thing to see someone that has all that potential and not to fulfill it. Yes. And uh, you know, it, 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 it can really drive people to accomplish amazing things. And uh, so I just encourage that in everyone I meet. And, right. uh, and, and, and if you lose your passion for something, find another one, right. you know, find that, find that reason to get up in the morning and where you're really excited about doing what you're doing. Now you mentioned your stunt bag next to you. What exactly is inside a stunt bag? <laughs> everything. I mean, everything. So my stunt bag is about, uh, or, or is about four feet long and, and about, two feet around, you know, big duffel bag, got my name printed on the outside of it. And uh, every pad I own fits in that bag. Plus, you know, some of my fire gear, um, car stuff, whatever I think I might need is in that bag. So I can throw that in my car and go virtually do, you know, pretty much any stunt that, you know, that's required, um, you know, besides all the rigging and cable and, you know, all that stuff. But uh but, uh, you know, I used to call it my, my, my midget bag because it was it, you could easily put a small person in there and carry them around. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah. When it comes to preparing for a stunt for a, another actor in a movie versus you as the actor in that movie, do you, is your preparation, mental or physical, change at all in terms of how you prepare for what you're about to do? Not, not really. I mean, when you're doubling somebody, you have to become that person, the way they move. Um, is very important. You, you know, you'll, you know, I had a friend of mine who doubled Robin Williams for many years and, and uh, I mean, he learned to move just like Robin. And, and uh, um, so that's the difference when you're playing yourself, you're, you don't have to worry about that. And uh, you know, you, you, you would all, you, you would be able to see a difference on screen between those two. In uh, Freddie versus Jason, in terms, you actually had to play Jason. So how does that, like, in terms of insurance and like the director and whoever it is in the movie, they need you to play Jason, but do they bring in another stuntman to do the crazy stunts or you kind of push it back on, hey, I could do this or I should be able to do this since I'm, I'm doing yeah. both or how does that work? Well, um, so I worked on number eight, Jason Takes Manhattan yeah. as the stunt coordinator and I, and I doubled uh, Kane Hodder, the guy that played, uh, you know, uh, Jason in that one. And, um, you know, Kane was uh, it was a big enough budget movie that they didn't want to risk uh, risk him for the car hit. Uh, sometimes they have two units going and they need another Jason on the other set uh, to do, and they'll use me to do the stunt uh, and let him go do his acting thing. And so you know I have to take on his persona of the character, like in the subway sequence. Yes. Uh, you know, walking on the subway and then falling out and getting electrocuted. You know, I had to try and pretend I was I was him. Um, in 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 Freddie versus Jason, you know, we developed a uh, new body language for for Jason in that movie, and uh, because they wanted him to be more sympathetic, I think, uh, and yet uh, be the you know big monster that uh, that fans were used to. So uh, yeah, one of the one of our fans, Lori, was wondering in terms of when you become Jason, hiding behind the mask, or say Pa. Uh, wrong turn uh, too. You, if if you're ever in a role where you, your face is distorted, you can't cover, no one can really see your emotions. How does how tough is it for you to act and still show that empathy towards a character like Jason? You can't see your really can't see your facial expressions behind the mask, but somehow when you watch that movie, you, especially in the the dream sequence where he's in the water and stuff, you actually feel sorry for him. Is did you take? I look at that going. Well, this guy that's playing Jason is actually playing Jason as a human, as opposed to this meandering Neanderthal who just kills people. So, how do you kind of convey emotion underneath the mask or like heavy makeup? You know, uh, people have asked that before, and, and I think about it. You know, like ninety percent of our language is body language. You know, probably when you were working security, and you see somebody and they stand out because of their body language, and you keep an eye right. on that person because you sense their body language. And that is what happens when you play a character like that. And uh, you have to emote just as much or even more with when your face is covered and people pick up on it. 
you know, they, they, they see the shoulders come up and, and you're scared. They see your body language move forward and, and you're being aggressive, you know? Uh, uh, so it's, it's there for them to read. It's, it's more uh, a subconscious reading, but, uh, but people pick up on it. In today's, it's obviously the movie, the Avengers, and you got uh, Avengers, X-Men, you got every, all these characters fighting each other. Um, but when, I, when you first, Freddy vs. Jason first comes out, that's the first time two rival franchises go head-to-head like that. It must be pretty cool for you to say you were part of that history in terms of movies, because now it almost happens every other week on TV or movies, but you guys and Robert Englund, you were at the forefront of this crazy idea that uh, is just awesome. You know, I, I just found out it was a little cooler the other day because... Um... Uh, apparently Hugh Jackman said that he would love to play yes. Jason. <laughs> I wish I wish I had known that when I worked with him. I did uh, one of the X-Men 3, I think. I was doubling Colossus and, uh, you know, I had this scene where I had to grab him and spin him around and throw him and he, he was on cables and stuff. And I wish I had uh, mentioned it to him or or he had brought that up or we, or I knew that. I I, uh, I did a stunt fight once with uh, with Ben Affleck and he found out that I had played Jason, and then he was like, "You played Jason? That's so cool!" You know. Um, so I always say, you know, Jason is famous, and I was really lucky that I got to play him. Um, it's very cool. And I, I love Cade. He's very passionate. C.J. Graham, veteran, uh, military veteran, awesome guy as well. So when you guys kind of see each other. Um, is there everything weird that you have like that weird, like I was, I was a taller Jason or I was the biggest or I had the best kill or is it one of those things where you were all lucky and fortunate to play an iconic character and then when you're at conventions and see each other, it's like, Hey, like this is, this is a pretty cool part of this. Um, it, 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 it was weird in the beginning uh, because Kane was right. very upset that he didn't get to play it. And, right. uh, and I think he took it out on me a little bit. Um, well, for, Quite a few for a few years and uh i think he finally grew out of that you know sort of pulled me aside one day and he goes you know that's over and uh but it 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 can get a little weird with him because he's so much wants to identify with the character and stuff right and he's really made a you know great career out of it and stuff um the rest of the guys are very easygoing and and uh you know, we're losing a couple, you know, we lost yeah. a couple, which I'm very sad about. And, uh, you know, Ted White, uh, love the guy. Yep. He's like 94 now or something like that. Um, such a great stunt career and uh, love seeing him. And, and and so when we get together, it's all great. It's, it's uh, you know, we have, uh, nobody's, uh, you know, we, we get along. When you were obviously, were you a fan of Friday the Thirteenth before, or did you had you watched the other Joyrides or seen Wrong Turn One, where you kind of like, I want to play in this world? So how do you kind of get? Obviously, they know your background with stunts. You can play these imposing figures. Uh, how does that kind of is it? Is it crazy for you to be part of three other or two other world like famous franchises in horror? Um. You know, some of that came because I played Jason and Freddy versus Jason. They wanted me to be in their movies because of that. And right. uh, so, and I had played a lot of, done a lot of what I call suit jobs, uh, you know, playing a werewolf or a robot or, you know, and then these other jobs came along. And, and uh, um, I did not know what a big deal it was to play Jason. Um, uh, it's just th- that iconic and worldwide that uh, people, you know, know that character all over the world that's what got weird that, that's uh, you know when i was doing the job people started coming up to me and they don't you know how much, what a big deal this is i didn't know what a big deal was you know i i'm not on social media and stuff like right. that and then my relatives started saying look at all this stuff and and um then one day robert and i were doing a uh, radio show I, I think in san diego and uh we came out of the radio station and there was about 15 20 people waiting outside and uh that's when i knew you know this is crazy this is really really a big deal one of the uh year uh, 2018 before the pandemic about the road shine down we have a day off in calgary and this is horror convention ted Raby, uh d wallace robert england's there beatloaf well 
we're just talking next to, I think, Nick Castle. And then the guitar player, Zach, starts talking to Robert. Hey, this is who I am, blah, blah, blah. And it felt like Robert, he knew every stuntman, every coordinator, every key grip, every... Is that something where you guys... Obviously, you know the other side of it because you are the stunt guy. You are the... You're behind the scenes as well. How awesome is it when you see, like, these, these main actors actually remember who people are and be so like like thankful to someone who has to double robert or you know it, it just kind of blew my mind I was like man this is a guy that i've watched his movies growing up scared the hell out of me as a kid but here he is talking about the guy that served catering and the backstage during dream warriors and i'm just like i don't it's amazing robert has an amazing memory it I scared mean, me you want to know the best restaurant in amsterdam or the best hotel, <laughs> or you want to talk about actors and or uh, stunts, and uh, he has an amazing memory. And uh, you know, he, I love working with him. He was just so great right off the bat. And uh, as a matter of fact, the first time I saw him, he goes, "Well, we'll be seeing each other for the rest of our lives now." And I, I didn't know why. And I said, "Why is that?" And he goes, "Conventions." I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so, uh, yeah, he's an amazing guy, Robert. Uh, really enjoy his company. And, and his wife, Nancy, is fantastic. Yeah. One of your other great characters, obviously, is Rescue Dale and Joy, Joy Ride 3. And what I love about the character is that if he wasn't bothered or, like, harassed or whatever, he would have just kept driving down the road. And, and I find that type of horror really uh, just very mesmerizing. You play the character like, hey, if you let me alone – we won't be this predicament, but now that we are, I'm going to play by my rules. And so for a character like that, how fun is it to kind of kind of create something like that where it's you really do kind of, you know what, he might, he might deserve to kill these people? Well, I think people can identify with, boy, I'd like to do that. You know, I mean, yeah. you only have to look at all the accounts of road rage and, and people getting upset. And these days, I think people get less polite. Uh, you know, politeness was a big deal way back in the day because, you know, if you weren't, somebody would call you out for a duel. You know, or, or, and, and these days, people don't realize, you know, as much. I think the, uh, you know, being polite to people. I, I have a, just one theory on 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 life, and that is, uh, you know, being a good person doesn't guarantee you that good things will happen to you, but it vastly increases the odds. So if you if you go out and you know it's you know, I think Will Smith said in one of his movies uh, don't start nothing don't start nothing and they won't be nothing right. <laughs> and and uh, so you know people I think being polite understanding that maybe somebody's having a bad day letting it go um, you know is is much better than 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 the alter than exercising your rights you know uh, because you can you know right. One of our followers, Fernando, was wondering, myself too, it, it, what was your toughest stunt you've had to do so far? And is there a particular stunt that you are really fond of doing, where, uh, whether it's fire, car, car crash, something like that? Um, I think one that I was sort of particularly proud of was um, I was doubling Jeff Goldblum in a movie called Hideaway. And, oh, uh, <laughs> and have you seen that movie? That's <laughs> um, an old one, but... Um, and we had to do, there's a scene where he's coming down the mountain with his family and he's driving the car and they're talking kind of distracted and there, there's a gravel truck coming up the mountain. And, uh, so I had to slide the car sideways and hit the front of the uh, gravel truck, you know, at 50 miles an hour and then spin off and then, uh, go car goes off the side of the road. And, uh, that was that main, that sequence, but there's more to that see that part of the sequence, there's more to that sequence, but, but, um, uh, I did it first take right in the camera crosshairs. Uh, if I'd been too deep, he would have T-boned me. And, uh, you know, that would have been, you know, a, a tough knock to take. And if I had gone too shallow, the stunt wouldn't have worked. And, uh, you know, so I was pretty, pr pretty happy with that one. Um, that one's that always sticks out in my mind. Now, it's funny first, Jason, the, the, the cord seed with the fire, was that you or is that, that, that was uh, Glenn Ennis. Um, he is a good friend of mine. He ended up doubling me for that sequence. That was the only sequence I went to the producers at the beginning of the, when they told me I had the job and they, I, and I knew that I was going to have a double. I said, listen, there's only one stunt I want to do in this movie. That's the fire in the cornfield. 
because I knew that it would get nominated for a World Stunt Award. Yes. And, uh, but they, they wouldn't let me do it. But I'll tell you the funny part about, you know, they go, no, Ken, you're the, you know, you're the, one of the stars of the movie. You're, we're hiring you as an actor. So the last night of filming, uh, uh, Glenn was dressed in the right costume for, <laughs> I think, the hand coming out of the ground or something like that. And they're going, you know, uh, Ken, would you do the ratchet out of the back of the van when the van flips? <laughs> and I go, and I'm back to being expendable again. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I said, yeah, I'll do the ratchet out of the back of the van. The the scene in the water though, into the movie, when your eyes are open, like that looks super real. Like, like th- that was obviously you. But what's that? How do you film a scene like that? Is it a hot a water tank or? It, yeah, how we, were film, we were filming up the uh, wave. We had, uh, it's called the wave tank at the uh, UBC. They use it to test boats, and um, so we were shooting in there, and they poured all kinds of. Uh, you know, chlorine and debris in the water to make it look real. And so the hard part was I was supposed to keep my eye open my, or my eyes open. One, only one, one was prosthetic built into right. the mask and the other was my real eye. But um, anyway, I just sink into the water with my eye open and I kept getting debris oh. in it and stuff like that. And uh, the chlorine was just burning. And I think we did, you know, five or six takes of that. And that was, that was probably the hard, hardest thing of the show. The organization Studs Canada, uh, is that something that is like a, a film, their film, if a film comes up to Canada, they want to hire a stud team, they reach out to Studs Canada, like how does that work? Yeah, so in, in the States, uh, started the, there's the Stuntman's Association, Stunts Unlimited, and then a whole plethora of, of, of uh, new groups that are out there. Uh, so Stunts Canada was initially formed to uh, provide professional stuntmen to the film business when they when they would come to Canada so that they could go there and say okay we're because anybody can say they're stuntmen and make right. up a bit of a resume and stuff like that um, so it was created so that the producers could you know go and hire reliable experienced stunt people and it's there really grown, it's grown into it's the oldest uh, stunt group in Canada I can't tell you how much better the stunt guys are now than than we were back then um you know they tend to specialize more and uh, now and and uh, so anytime you do that you're going to be better at the car stuff better at the ratchet stuff better at the fight stuff um so it, it, it the group is really just phenomenal these days and and uh, of course does huge projects um you know all over the world uh right. but but mainly in canada when it comes to a big fight scene like the X-Men movies or uh, some of the Thirteenth Warrior, like all this crazy like fight stuff going on, people on horses over here. In terms of the layout of that movie, how much control is the, is the director give the stunt coordinator and bring all you guys into a room and say, "Hey, we're going to rehearse this, obviously." But how many takes does that take to film something that's so, that was so much craziness going on? The the my biggest experience with that was uh, working on. Um, came out as the 13th thirteenth uh, Warrior. Eaters of the Antonio Dead. Antonio Banderas. Yes. yes. And uh, um, my buddy was coordinating. He called me up to come help him coordinate. I was already going to work on it doing stunts. But, and we had, you know, hundreds of head of horses. We had, you know, nearly 100 stunt people working on set. We had big, big battle scenes. And uh, so we would meet with the director. The director would tell us his vision. You know, we all have the script, so we read it. Right. But, the director gives you his vision. You get an idea sometimes of the shots he wants to do. But I think in that situation, on that movie, we had to be ready for just about anything at any time. Um, and it just takes a lot of organization, a lot of forethought. Um, you know, preparation is everything. Uh, if you're if you're prepped and organized, it, it goes off smoothly. I think it's important to point out that even if, we, if we're not talking about an action movie or a horror movie or something with a lot of crazy stunts, even movies where someone that simply falls down the steps or puts their hand through a coffee table or runs into a door, those actors still have stunt men or stunt women doing that stuff. And I think that's really cool that people always expect oh, superhero movies, there's, Stoney, there's Robert Downey's Iron Man stunt man, but no, that same stunt double is probably doing something in another movie that's no action whatsoever, but some simple mistake could derail this movie. It's really cool that the stuntmen and women actually get to do all types of movies. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's part of the thrill of it for me was 
you know, I always said to myself, I never wanted to be in the same place doing the same thing with the same people. Uh, I needed, I get bored easily and, and uh, stunt work was great for that. You know, I'd get a phone call to go. Uh, I got a good story about uh, Burt Reynolds. Uh, so, so, so I was doubling an actor on a movie called Malone uh, with Burt Reynolds and yep. uh, um, they'd kept me sitting around and I, and for a few days and I was booked on another show in Calgary. And I kept telling him, I go, listen, I got a hard date. I got to go. Um, and the stunt was uh, the, the character gets shot in the head and then falls through a trap door on the second floor of a barn and, and falls and falls through. And uh, I had a bloody squib pack on the back of my head full of cottage cheese and fake blood and, uh, and a wig on over that. And uh, so we finally get to it. And I was, I was like, my, my flight's book, I got to go. And they go, okay. So they reorganized the day to shoot me out that day. And I get up there with, uh, with Burt Reynolds and I'm like, Burt Reynolds, Hooper, <laughs> you know, standing right in front of me. And uh, so we do the shot, boom, one take, I do the fall and uh, I got to go straight to the airport. Not any time to clean the cottage cheese blood out of my hair. <laughs> so I put on a big, my, my Stunts Canada hat, I go straight to the airport and I get on the flight and people are looking at me like, you know, <laughs> Are you, are you all right? <laughs> Have you hit your head or anything like that? Uh, I wore that shit all the way to Calgary and, and uh, checked into the hotel with it in, in my hair and everything. But uh, I loved it. I <laughs> just like, I got to go. Yeah. No, I love that. When you're watching a, a movie now, or I don't know if you're really into watching movies or TV and stuff, but Sorry. When, you are, when you are doing that, watching TVs, are you watching it, looking at the stunts going, I could know that better, or why did they do it this way? Or do you kind of just, once you're not part of the production, you don't kind of quarterback something like that? Uh, I, I, I tend, obviously, if I see a really exceptional stunt, uh, you know, I pay attention to it. Um, I still enjoy going to, one of my favorite things is going to a movie theater and buying popcorn and watching it on the big screen. Um, Stunt work these days is, it's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. I mean, they're doing such amazing work of blending. Um, so it, it, I, I can still, I still put on, you know, my little kid glasses and, and love going to the theater and watching it. And for all the same reasons I did when I was younger. Um, but uh, it's it certainly, you know, you see some amazing stunts. Now, you mentioned you, you're, you're going to start writing and doing all this stuff. Are you going to be writing from the sense of, man, I could write a really cool stunt scene here, or I could write a really good action scene? Like, that must help you creatively kind of put together some really cool pieces. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, the, for me and the way I was educated in the stunt business, the, the action always services the story. Uh, so when I'm writing, that's what it does. I, I don't write a, a story around a stunt. I write the stunt around the story. Uh, but it certainly helps because I, you know, I know what can be done and how, and and uh, so it helps that way. Do you? I know obviously the last ten years or so, there's been uh, more of a soul push to, or a award recognition for stunt men and women. Um, I think it's the Saturn Award, the Jupiter Award, whatever they are. Uh, but do you think there's enough being done to honor uh, stunt men and women, or is it something where they can still improve upon that in the more mainstream uh, award yes. show type stuff? There, there still isn't an award an Academy Award for stuntmen. I think it's the only department that doesn't have an award. And I know that uh, people are working to try to make that happen. Um, the, the awards I think you're thinking about are called the uh, Taurus Awards. Yes, Taurus Awards, yep. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I got another funny story about the first one of those I went to. Um, anyway, it, it uh, yes, I think that stunt people should uh, get more. I was raised in the business where uh, you still didn't tell people you were doubling the actor. Uh, Kane Hodder came to me on number eight and said, hey, don't tell anybody you doubled me, okay? I, all right. Uh, you know, I, that's the way I was raised in the business. Um, we were there to, so that people didn't know. Um, and that, you know, now it's, it's more out there and, you know, that you don't worry about that. And I think that they do deserve uh, more recognition, at least with the uh, with the academy. One of the, uh, and not to really drastically change the subject here, but I know you are passionate about uh, extraterrestrials, UFOs, all this type of crazy stuff. In the last year and a half, uh, there's been declassification and everything like that. Um, before we talk, really talk about that, 
what is your favorite uh, alien uh, sci-fi movie? Well, I mean, Alien was a fantastic movie. I think I saw that when I was 18 in the theater. And uh, Star Wars uh, started off started off great. I'm not so happy with it lately. I, I don't. I haven't. The first three, fantastic. Um, you know, those those movies I think influenced me a lot. They they uh, they were just really great to watch. Um, you know, Jaws was kind of sci-fi, or not, I guess it wasn't sci-fi, more of a horror, but that was another right. one that I really, really loved. Like, uh, yeah. I would watch Predator and Aliens growing up, always well, thinking, oh, it's so robotic, but it's like, these are real, like Michael Peter Hall and Predator and all that, and these act, these men and women that would play these stunts for the actual aliens, it's, it really is crazy, you're part of an industry that can, a human can make something look so real. Uh the, I, I was working with one of the stunt men, or maybe I can't remember his name now, but but he was going down to work on Predator, and uh, um, he said, you know, we're looking for a tall guy in a suit. Uh, you know, you know, would would you be interested? And then I never heard anything about it again. But uh, you know, yes, working in a suit, you know, is is it's the hardest job you'll do as a stuntman. Um, but uh, what was it the color of water? Yes, the shape of water. The shape of water. I mean, yeah. what a fantastic job he did. Doug that Jones, actor. right? I'm, I don't, I, I'm not sure of his name. I think it was Doug Jones. Yeah, Doug Jones. What a phenomenal job he does in makeup, and he's done a he's done a bunch, and uh, that was just uh, you know fantastic. No, it really is. It uh, about the alien stuff. I've always been fascinated with it, and I've always wanted to believe that there's stuff out there. Yeah. What is it about that subject matter uh, that really kind of gets you engaged and wants to learn and kind of research about stuff, especially the last year or so, all the declassification uh, from all the UFO stuff? Right. Well, I'd like to preface this first by saying that I take everything with a grain of salt. Correct. You know, I, it, you, you, you know, it hasn't been proven to me yet, but I find the subject matter really interesting. And there's certainly some really, really compelling arguments and stuff. Um, you know, the, people are saying this new footage, these three um, videos of, of the, the, you know, the UFOs, uh, they're saying, well, I mean, we don't have anything like that. And we don't think they have anything like that. So that means that maybe it's not from uh, this world, which means there could be aliens. There's one other thing it could be. It could be a huge psyop, you right. know, to, to convince people for, for whatever reason at this point in history that there we that there are these uh, people visiting us. Um, what that could be, I don't know. The technology, the pilots, they're you know they're they're could they be testing this stuff on their on their own pilots uh, to see how convincing it is? Right. Who knows? I mean, Lou Elizondo's background is uh, counterintelligence. Yep. You know, it, 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 did they just give him a new job? You know, uh, I don't know. Right. Um, I'd like to, they say they've got much more convincing footage. Well, let's, let's get the evidence out there and see. It uh, is fascinating. It, it fascinating. Right. Yeah. It's very fascinating to live in this, this, this time now where they're actually, actually talking about this stuff. Like before growing up in the eighties for me, I was born in 85, nineties, the two thousands. It was like, oh, it's, oh, there's a book. There's a book the president signs, all that. Um, it's you, Area 51, all this, but to see this stuff actually be more mainstream, I do think that is pretty cool. And it, like you, 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 like you said, you can't really. These videos are coming out from the like ships and naval ships and military people with 20, 30 year careers who've done reports on the stuff and it's finally coming out. It's like, well, I, I, I want to believe people, and uh, yeah. obviously, there's some people we can't believe, uh, but the unknown is what's so fascinating. Well, I, I don't know if you know, but I worked on X-Files. I, was the, I did the yes. stunt coordinator on that for the pilot in the first two seasons. And, and uh, you know, around about that time, I think Whitley Stryver's book came out about alien abductions. And it was one of the reasons why the, why the show was such a big hit. Um, I'm really interested in the subject matter. I want to keep seeing new information come along and, and see where we go with it. Um, as well as uh, Graham Hancock's work, I mentioned that to you. Yeah, um, really mm -hmm. interesting theory, and you know he's he with with that accent of his, and he's such an eloquent speaker. It's you want to believe what he has to say. 
Um, I actually went to his website and that, there was a little blurb there about uh, um, them discovering uh, elongated skulls in, Ant in Antarctica. And then I did some research and found out that it was probably a made up story. Um, so again, take things with a grain of salt, do your own research. Um, but that doesn't strike my, it doesn't stop my interest in it. No, and I think we talked about that earlier, but some of the Graham Hancock with the pre-civilization floods or Dr. Stephen Greer with the consciousness of CE5 uh, with alien uh, intelligence. Those yeah. people have a passion. Yeah. Um, and who are we to say your passion's wrong? They, they believe in what they're saying. They, they're researching, they're studying, they're talking about it. They're being courageous yeah. about it. And yeah. those type of people I love following because you, we see that passion in real terms. Stephen Greer is really interesting to me because of the whole consciousness thing. I mean, yep. uh, quantum physics, and, and I'm not an expert or anything like that, but quantum physics is coming up with some really, uh, I guess, uh, counterintuitive ideas on, on life and how much our consciousness can affect uh, reality. And, and uh, I don't know, I think that, uh, consciousness is 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 needs to be studied so much more and and uh have you heard of i think it's called the world consciousness organization uh yeah so so you know that they have all these random number generators set up all over the world and uh on a big event like 9-11 these random number generators turn non-random in other words they stopped uh, they, they seem to be affected by the consciousness of the world. Right. Um, that's fascinating because if that, you know, if that was true, then what we think affects our reality. Uh, right. You can go right down a rabbit hole on this, but uh, I find that stuff pretty interesting. Well, if, I mean, I, I hate talking. I, I never talk politics out here, but I think most majority of people agree that the media is so wherever the media is doing, it's I can't stand it. I, that's why I don't watch TV or whatever. But when you look at when media puts something out, the people believe what they hear or see or whatever. Obviously, now are they trying to control the consciousness of what people think and believe and feel? I mean, it, the whole thing is so fascinating. The fact that there are people that want to believe it and there are people that don't want to believe it or are trying to not let other people believe it. That where, that where that line meets is where I yeah. love just researching and kind of just trying to understand the whole thing. Yeah, it's, uh, again, you know, consciousness, quantum physics, they, one of the things in quantum physics is they, they say that every time you make a decision, it's like you split. And there's a, there's a reality where you said yes and a reality where you said no, which, which, if you take that to, if there was, a, if there is a God or a creator and it lived forever, what would be the one thing that would happen? You'd get pretty bored if you didn't have yes. diversity. Yes. And uh, so if that's true, if, if every time you make a decision, you create a new reality, well, how many reality shows are on TV right now? You know, uh, <laughs> you know. It's, right. it's 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 interesting that 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 could be a possibility and in, in which case maybe maybe if you believe there's something after life maybe there is if you don't believe there's something after life maybe there isn't you know right it, and that's it, okay that's yeah. that's what I love that we could have these different views of yeah, this stuff yeah. sure one of the things this must bother you too though every time there is footage of a ufo it's always never on like a professional camera it's never broad daylight it's never like a full mood part of me just thinks i i know they i we we, we all know they have better footage that's out there what they put out there but i do find it interesting that even if they give us a taste of it or a sniff of what this could be it's right. always blurred or oh that guy that took the video was actually drunk it was foggy out it's just like well yeah. what is it like you still can't explain what this is yeah i mean uh, there's that drone footage where the drone is following one of the ships and then it goes yes. into the water Yes, splashes down. Right, right. I mean, uh, so we, I, you know, I don't think there's a drone out there that they built right now that I know of that that goes from air to water, um, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't build one. Right. And was it doing anything that a normal drone in the air that a normal drone couldn't do? I mean, was it was it exceeding the speed? Was it was it moving uh, in a, in a way that a drone? would move all i saw was it moving along at a steady pace and then eventually it dropped into the water 
Right. Well, is that, is that that you know it doesn't tell me much, you know. Uh, so again, you know, you got to sort of think these things through a bit and and allow for the possibility that it could be <laughs> something you don't know about. What would scare you more, uh, knowing that when it's an alien aircraft or that it's a man-made uh, weapon type thing that hasn't been released yet? Which one would scare you more? I'm I'm inclined to think that um, we haven't had any really bad experiences with UFOs. I mean, uh, there's there are stories about UFOs attacking the sky in, 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 in battle only after they attacked it, right? Right. So, so no UFO has ever shown up and been aggressive on its own. I mean, unless you, I, you have to count the people who say they've been abducted, of course, that, that, that an aggressive action, but they seem to bring people back, um, you know? Right. Uh, so I would, I, I'm of the mind that, you know what, with all the things we're facing, global warming, um, you know, um, wars, uh, AI, pandemics, if they're out there and they can help us get through this really difficult time, because we're not facing one thing that could really harm mankind. We're facing multiple things that could right. harm mankind. And uh, so if they haven't done anything, you know, untoward so far, I'm of the mind that they're probably either benign or they want the, they want us to, you know, be successful. Um, they remember, you know, most of the UFO uh, people think that they're obviously really interested. They became most interested in us after we dropped the, after the bomb got dropped right. and they realized that we had the ability to destroy this world. And, uh, you know, then you've got soldiers reporting that they're showing up at uh, nuclear missile silos and shutting them down or turning them on, basically showing, hey, we've got control of this. So don't even bother kind of thing, you know. Right. And uh, so I think if they're here. I think they're here for for a good purpose and not a not a bad one. It would just be so awesome too. Just be like he comes down there, they hey Ken, man, loved your work and uh, X Files. Keep it going. Thanks for your help. We'll uh, we'll we'll talk in our minds. I think there's just <laughs> something to that where, in terms of the first two seasons of X Files, and I think the first four. I mean, the show has been was amazing. Um, and I even love the movies too because it, it talks about the unknown and the truth is actually out there. But those first two seasons. What episodes kind of hit close? Or which ones did you really gravitate towards in terms of maybe building your consciousness towards like learning more about aliens and stuff like that? Um, the show, I, you know, um, I got to be in one, uh, an episode yes. called Ice. And uh, so that was, and I even got a, a trading card, an X-Files trading card with my picture on it, out of it. So I was really happy with that episode. Um, you know, I had read up a lot on on the alien abductions and stuff like that. Uh, I read Whitley Stryber's book, and uh, you know, it, it so it didn't enlighten me a lot about the subject matter. I had already read quite a bit about it, and uh, I just thought it was very timely uh, to get it out there. But you'll notice that every uh, it was every second episode that they focused on, you know, the yes. UFO and the the abduction of his sister. And then the monster episodes were fantastic. I mean, yes. uh, my favorite one of that was the uh, the Fluke Man, yeah, uh, Fluke Man episode. And um, what was the episode called where he stretched, um, and he would come down the chimney or whatever and kill people, and they couldn't figure out how he got in the house. And, and so that that was that was a really creepy one too. No, it's uh, it's really cool. And for you, as we kind of wrap this up, when it comes to movies, television, in the stunt world, is it easier for you to kind of be on a show where it's, you know the people for the, the longevity of the, the time you're on the show? Or is it easier for you to break up a movie based on stunts itself? Um, you know, it all depends on the vibe of the people you're working with. You, you can walk in and, uh, you know, it's just negative and uh, you you get in, you get out, and you're just happy to do it. And usually, you know, they say the shit runs downhill. So if you've got a producer or a director or an, or an actor that's making things difficult for everybody, you don't want to be there. It's not it's not fun. But uh, I remember uh, I worked on um, Legends of the Fall. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and, and I had worked with Brad Pitt before, and I'd worked with a bunch of the other actors before, and I walked into the makeup trailer, 
and uh, they all remembered me from various stunts I'd done with them and stuff. And uh, and Anthony Hopkins was in the trailer, and he just turned around. And he goes, "Well, I suppose I should get to know you. My name's Tony." And uh, you know, the whole the, the whole vibe of the trailer was just so great. Right. And uh, it was just such a fun show to work on because of that. I find it interesting if you're with an if you're stunting for an actor who is having a bad day. I, I get how some people have a bad day and they don't need to be that person. But if you are an, an asshole in real life and you treat the crew like shit, the local people terrible, it, you as an artist yourself and a stuntman have to do this crazy stunt to make this person look good. But is it? Are there days where you could have just been like, you know what, this isn't for me. I, I can't work this far because when it comes to the safety. In the back of your mind, you worry about your guy you're doubling that's being an asshole. And so how do you kind of deal with that? Or are you that type of person where in your prime doing all this stuff nonstop that you were just kind of like, you know what? I can pick and choose what I do. I know this. I've heard this guy's a prick or whatever. Like, how do you kind of separate the, the person from the actual job you're there for? Well, I, in some cases, most cases I have, but um, the only real stunt I ever turned down was a fight scene, I think, with Steven Seagal. Oh, damn it. Because he had such he had such a bad reputation for, for hurting hurting stuntmen. Yes. And uh, I personally knew one of the stunt guys that he stuffed his face into a into a, a bureau and, and broke his teeth. And um, so many actors that I respect have bad stories about him and stuff. And and I just have no desire to work with them. Right. Uh, you know, no respect for stunt people little respect for anybody else and and uh why why go through that um you know I, there's so many great actors out there that that are fantastic to work with that respect you know what you do and stuff and and uh that's where you want to be no i love that i love that you're able to do the stunt work and be in front of the camera as well uh as the actor or the main piece there and uh it's just really cool and I'm, I'm looking forward to your work you put out there your writing and your stuff you're producing and uh, I can't thank you enough for jumping on here, Ken. John, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. I, I wish I'd gotten to talk to you more about your security work. Uh, well, we'll do a part two. How about that? Anytime. Awesome. Thank you, sir. All right. You take care. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga, Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.